1: Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jennifer Yerimeyeva, and today it is a distinct pleasure for me to welcome one of my favorite royal biographers to the podcast. Corinne Hall has delighted readers with her well-researched and eminently readable biographies for years of royal personalities such as Empress Maria Fyodorovna King Christian IX of Denmark, Grand Duchess Xenia Alexandrovna of Russia, as well as exploring royal residences such as Hivador in Denmark and the imperial estates of the Romanovs. In her latest book, Queen Victoria and the Romanovs, 60 Years of Mistrust, Corinne has gone back into the archives to chart a choppy relationship between the Dwayne of sovereigns and the larger-than-life Romanovs in a relationship that sees the queen move from an impressionable teenager with a crush on a grand duke to a highly skeptical and cautious grandmother of two Romanoff brides, Grand Duchess Elizabeth and, of course, Empress Alexandra, wife of Nicholas II. This is a fascinating and eminently enjoyable read which covers much that is new and insightful about monarchy and politics throughout the course of the 19th century. And I am so delighted that it brings Corinne to our show today. Corinne, welcome.
0: Good afternoon, Jennifer. Thank you for asking
1: me. Oh, it's lovely to have you. Now, I know that uh, many of our listeners today will be very familiar with your impressive body of work, Um, But for those who are meeting you for the first time, uh, I wonder if you could give us some background information on how you stumbled, well, probably went into this uh, fascinating career of royal history and your particular interest in the Romanovs.
0: Well, it's simple, really. My parents were both very interested in history, and that's how I caught the bug. But the interest in Russia began as a child when I was told that my great-grandmother was born in St. Petersburg, her father was t- a teacher, he was British, and he went out to St. Petersburg in 1859. And six of his 12 children were born there, including my great-grandmother. Oh, wow. Who w- she was almost an exact contemporary of Tsar Nicholas II. So the story fired my imagination, and I started wanting to know more about Russia and its ruling family. But also I was influenced by my study of ballet, which was very Soviet-influenced when I was a child. So Russia was everywhere, really.
1: And you've also written a a a book about Matilda Koshinskaya. I'm glad to say in my in my which I I enjoyed very much as well. Um, So for this book, um, you you give us a very intimate portrait of the queen and her relationship with the Romanov readers. And I wonder what sources you used and what was your sort of general mythology? How did you approach the work?
0: Well, really, the book is written from the perspective of Queen Victoria and how she reacted to personalities and events. So the main source is the Queen's own writings, which are actually considerable, both journals and published letters. In fact, when I started doing it, I didn't know if I'd have enough information to put a book together, <laughs> and I soon realised I was drowning in it trying to cut things out.
2: <laughs> because but The
0: Royal Archives actually prefer scholars to use the online and published sources for ah. Queen Victoria, where these are available, because there's not actually not a lot of space in the actual royal archives anyway, but I still had to obtain permission to quote extensively from the journals. Any Russian sources I used were taken from books in my considerable library here at home. Mm.
1: Well, because Victoria wrote, uh, particularly to her eldest daughter, didn't she? Sort of almost on a daily basis, or sometimes a couple of times a day, and didn't didn't hide what she was thinking. Um, That's right. So yes, I've
0: got the letters here to Vicky in the books and. <laughs> Some of the comments are quite outspoken, as you say. So she didn't hide her feelings. Whether she realised these letters would ever be read by people like us, I wouldn't like to say. But uh, <laughs> she didn't hide her feelings. She'd probably be horrified if she knew about this book.
1: Well, and that and that leads us into into the um, into the subject of the work. And and you give a lot away in your title. You you the sub the subtitle is sixty years of mutual distrust. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, Victoria has ascended the throne in in 1837. She's barely 18, uh, led a very sheltered life. Uh, What does she know about Russia? Uh, And how has her opinion been shaped about the country that's sort of on the opposite end of Europe from England?
0: Well, she would have been told that Russophobia had been rife in Britain since the rapid expansion of the Russian Empire under Catherine the Great. And this was followed by the military might displayed by the Russian Imperial Army against Napoleon, And although Britain and Russia were allies against Napoleon, the British were always suspicious of the Russians' intentions. And in the early years of her reign, Victoria was influenced by her Prime Minister, Lord Melbourne, and also her maternal uncle, King Leopold of Belgium, who had his own reasons for hating Russia. He encouraged her distrust of the Russian Empire. Later, there were fears of Russians' intentions towards India, Discussed at the brutal Russian suppression of the 1830 Polish uprising Mm. and sympathy for the Turks during the period around the Crimean War, and that all fueled the fire of Victoria's distrust. But obviously she read the government and diplomatic reports, but the opinions she formed from these were very much her own. But it's interesting, though, that in light of her feelings for Russia, that Victoria was actually the goddaughter of Tsar Alexander I, although they never met. She was actually christened Alexandrina Victoria in his honour.
1: Right, and and the and she falls in uh, sort of has a gets a crush on another um, Grand Duke Alexander, and this is the future Tsar Alexander II, if I if I'm not mistaken. That's um, when... right.
0: She, she was certainly bowled over by Alexander, <laughs> the future Alexander II. He was sent to England by his father in 1839 to try and forge a closer diplomatic relationship with Britain. And they were almost the same age. She was almost 20, he was 21. And when this handsome young man whirled giddily around the ballroom, she was entranced. I mean, she was a queen who loved dancing. She'd had little fun in her youth. And then suddenly this handsome young grand duke turns up, and he did really bowl her over. And apparently the feeling at the time was mutual, so much so that Nicholas I became very worried when he heard and although it would have been impossible for Alexander to marry Victoria, even if they had both wanted to, he ordered his son to come home.
1: Right. And in, and they both grow up and um, assume a slightly different relationship,
0: don't they? <laughs> yes. Well, her feelings were always very ambivalent. One minute she'd be praising one of the Russians, and the next minute she didn't have a good word to say about them. And actually, a typical example is uh, Alexander III, the son of Alexander II, when he visited London in 1860, 1873 as Tsarovich, she recorded he was very good-natured and kind. Ten years later, when he was Tsar, she described him as a sovereign whom one could lo- whom she could not look upon as a gentleman.
1: Oh, dear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but funny, is, her distrust of Russia didn't stop her liking Nicholas II as a person, but she didn't like or trust his country.
1: Right. And,
0: and of course, although wary of Russia, she never lost her love for her granddaughter, Alex, who became Empress Alexandra Feodorovna. So as I say, it was very, very ambivalent. One minute she was up, praising them, next minute, nothing good to say about them, horrid Russia.
1: To, to what extent is she able to unpack the relationship and separate the country from its rulers? I mean, because the, the Romanovs are absolute monarchs of the, the Russian Empire. Is she able to sort of take the, the Romanovs as individuals or does she see them as a big clan?
0: She was able to uh, not confuse the interests of her country with those of her family and for her the empire and the country always came first Mm -hmm. and I think she found it easy with Nicholas I and Alexander II to keep family interests and interests of the empire separate because until Alexander II's daughter married her son they didn't have a close family relationship they were just concentrating on expanding their empire it got a bit more complicated when Alex, under Alexander III, because his wife was the sister of the Princess of Wales, and of course they met often, usually abroad. But Alexander, as I said, disliked Victoria. So um, it became all more difficult when Nicholas II became Tsar, because he then became Victoria's grandson by marriage, but at the same time he then had a duty to his own country and although he wanted to remain on good terms with britain the needs of russia had to come first right so i think they were able to celebrate to separate the family from the imperial aspirations on both sides of the coin i see
1: and can i ask um prince albert is um actually the one who manages to to win victoria's heart um how does he see russia in the the puzzle piece that he as a puzzle piece in the in the great mosaic that he's kind of building of Europe in his own in his own mind.
0: I don't think he had any great influence on Victoria, to be honest, in this Mm -hmm. respect, because when he married her in 1840, he had to fight for his own role and his own position. He was seen as a foreigner and an interloper. And at this point in her life, she was still very much under the influence of Lord Melbourne. And even after he had uh, resigned office, it was still King Leopold who greatly influenced her it was only later that Albert's views became more evident. Now, I looked at this book from Victoria's viewpoint, and I didn't go very much into what Albert thought about anything. But it's true that he was distrusted as a foreigner. And even at the time of the Crimean War, there were stories that he was a Russian agent in direct contact with the Tsar and that he'd been sent to the Tower of London. Oh, dear. <laughs> And of course, the Queen had definite views about everything, as is evidenced by her writings. And she met many of the Romanovs far more than I suspected. Uh And she was quite able to form her own opinions.
1: And may I ask you, because often when she's hosting them at her various residences, you make a point of saying that, um, you know, she led whichever Romanov in, to a room that is unfortunately covered with paintings of the glories of Britain's defeat of Russia uh, in the Crimean War. I mean, do you think this was a deliberate kind of political um, strategy of Victoria's or was she just kind of clueless about it?
0: I do think it was deliberate, actually. I think she was very conscious that Russia had an emperor, while she, the sovereign of a great power and a great empire, was still only queen, which was basically slightly lesser. Mm. And I think the pictures were placed there deliberately to remind the Russians that they'd been on the losing side in the Crimean War. Right. And one of the reasons that Victoria was so delighted to be proclaimed Empress of India in 1876 was because it put her on the same footing with the Emperor of Russia. And it was also hoped it would discourage the Russians from making any further moves into Asia, where they'd already come within 20 miles of the border with India.
1: Right, and India, and protecting the shipping routes to India kind of drives the entire narrative doesn't it um in this relationship because the Romanos are anxious to to expand but victoria wants to keep that important um shipping line clear for for britain because it's it's sort of a vital lifeline how but how does that develop over the the relationship
0: well as i said victoria never confused the interests of her country with those in her family mm. And I think that was the overriding thing, although she, she knew that the empire would always come first and that her, with her ministers, it was always what the, empire, the empire's interests and the family were sort of put to one side. It was difficult, but I think it was the same on the Russian side. They had their own ideas. They wanted Constantinople. They wanted access through the Dardanelles. They wanted all sorts of other things. They wanted their warships in the Black Sea. Mm. And the British weren't about to give in and Victoria and her ministers were pretty, really pretty stable about this attitude. They did not want Russia in, having any incursion into Asia. They were worried about the lifeline to India, which, of course, was the jewel in the crown of the British Empire. Right.
1: What about the... Ro- I mean, you tell the story from Victoria's point of view, but, but you also looked into Russian sources. And is there a way to kind of sum up what the Romanovs thought of Victoria? I mean, do they hold her in contempt? Did, were they slightly... Scared of her, what, what was their overall opinion? Or did it differ between individuals?
0: No, I, I think apart from Alexander II, you know, when he was first came to the throne, I mean, it was rather different. I mean, when they met face-to-face, diplomacy came into effect. Meetings were very congenial. Victoria praised the, praised the Russians. The, the Russians went home and gave a good report of their visit. Everyone was very pleased. Privately, in a le- later <laughs> life, Alexander calls Victoria that old madwoman in a right. letter, and his wife declared that some of Victoria's utterances were worthy of a fishwife. Right. Alexander III called Victoria a pampered, selfish, sentimental old woman, and his daughter, Grand Duchess Olga Alexandrovna, said that Victoria preferred her German relations. I think the words that really probably best sum up their opinion of her was silly old fool oh no
1: <laughs> well let's let's look at one of the the most impetuous aspects of of this relationship and that is when victoria becomes the the dreaded mother-in-law of of a, a romanov grand duchess maria alexandrovna herself no no sort of blushing flower um, and this relationship when marie marries um victoria's second son Alfred, the Duke of Edinburgh, um, over Victoria's sort of reservations. Um, let's start with that that engagement, and because it's a it's a relationship that is never easy, um, and they continue to lock horns throughout Victoria's life. But why why does Alfred insist upon marrying Marie?
0: Well, by eighteen seventy three, both Alfred and Marie were quite frankly running out of options <laughs> as regards a suitable marriage. I mean, Marie was nine years younger. Alfred had met her several times in Germany when he visited his sister Alice, and Marie was visiting relatives as well. He was very taken with her, and of course she was the most eligible girl in Europe. But Marie did need a lot more persuading, and there were stories that she was in love with someone in Russia who was deemed an unsuitable husband of a grand duchess. And of course in those days rank was everything, and they were expected to marry in accordance with their rank. hmm And Victoria would undoubtedly have preferred Alfred to marry a German princess, but there was no suitable candidate available. Mm -hmm. And there was also opposition from Alexander II and Marie Alexandrovna, his wife. They didn't want their daughter to live in a country so far from Russia. So there were a lot of problems to be overcome before the engagement could even be announced. There was a religious problem. Marie was orthodox. And, of course, the British, you know, the Queen was head of the Church of England. There was the marriage settlement, the great wealth of the Tsars, and even where and when the wedding would take place. And the marriage negotiations really were long and tortuous. And Both the Tsar and Queen Victoria were reluctant to give way on any issue. And in the end, Victoria was forced to give in on one irrevocable point after another. And the Tsar always had his way. So Mm -hmm. basically, she was bested every time.
1: And it doesn't get easier when Marie arrives in London, does it?
0: No, actually, um, f- at first things, to- things seemed to go well. You know, Marie's charming, Victoria quite likes her, one thing and another. But Victoria soon found that Marie was the only one of her family that she couldn't intimidate. Right. And basically, Marie never forgot that she was by birth her Imperial Highness, which was a rank higher than Royal Highness, which was the rank she held after her marriage to Alfred. And she was autocratic and she remained autocratic, and there's one story that she was standing in one of the a garden um, on the, one of their country estates, and she made the gardener walk backwards for some considerable distance rather than <laughs> turn his back on her. And she stood there watching until he had walked right backwards as far as he could, until he found a gate or a fence or something he could get behind.
2: Oh dear! And this
0: was how it was with her. And, and she it- was autocratic. Her jewels dazzled the court and made the queen and her daughters jealous. Victoria was not used to being stood up to, but because Marie was financially independent and extremely wealthy in her own right, the Queen found she couldn't intimidate her. And because Marie insisted on being treated as a grand duchess, and the Tsar demanded she have precedence before all Victoria's daughters, and that led Victoria to make comments about Russians and their Asiatic ideas of rank, I think it was fundamentally a clash of personalities. And Marie was soon complaining about the Queen and life in England in letters home. And although it was hoped this marriage would ease the relationship between Britain and Russia, the tensions remained. And they
1: they kind of have to to send Marie and Alfred off to various uh, posts abroad to to keep Victoria and Marie from clashing constantly. Um,
0: Yes, but Alfred was in the Navy and they posted him to Malta, which was the headquarters of the Mediterranean fleet, And Marie spent a few months there. And of course, she loved it. Malta's a small island in the middle of the Mediterranean. She could queen it in in Malta. She was away from Queen Victoria's gaze. She didn't have to do what her mother-in-law said. There was no one to tell her what to do. So she absolutely loved it. And then, of course, in the early 1890s, when Prince Albert's dissolute brother, the Duke of Coburg, died, Alfred inherited the Duchy of Coburg. So they went off to Coburg to live. And again, she was... Queen of Coburg. She was not under Victoria's gaze and stricture the whole time. She had her own court, her own life, and she loved it. Right.
1: And I've always been fascinated by Marie sort of deliberately steps in um, to kind of break up a romance between her eldest daughter and uh, the future king, George V. And I, I always wonder, life could have been, uh, history could have been quite different. Um, and and why, why did Marie step in to sort of break that marriage up? Or potential well, marriage. George
0: was very much in love with Marie, Missy, mm, as they called her in the family, and uh, I think it's a great shame because she would have made a great queen. She made a great queen of Romania. Yeah. But by that time, Grand Duchess Marie, as we shall call her, was so anti-British, so against Victoria, she didn't want a daughter falling into Queen Victoria's orbit. She herself was trying to escape from this orbit, and if her daughter married the future King George V, as he was, she would have been sort of subject to the queen's strictures and everything else. She wanted, her, she didn't want her own daughter to live that life. So she, she dictated a letter of refusal to George's proposal and made mm. Missy send it. So sad. I think it's a great shame. It's a great it shame. Bad. I
1: agree with you. Um, they she's, remain great
0: friends too.
1: She's one of the the more intriguing Romanov characters because she's she's English and Russian. That that family are the, is the one that combines the two gene pools and, and they're all kind of fascinating. Um, and of course she's, she's at the, um, World War II, the Treaty of Paris, Treaty of Versailles, uh, negotiations, isn't she? Missy.
0: Missy went to a lot of the things she yeah. went, she after World War 1 she went to negotiate Romania's yeah. position after the war and she did splendidly she got Romania back about half its territory.
1: Oh, she's amazing. So,
0: and of course she she had the advantage she was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria and she was the granddaughter of the Tsar of Russia as you say. Right. So uh, they had a a very good heritage those girls and a uh, very interesting family actually but yeah. I think uh, it is a great shame that Marie sort of put her spoke in and didn't let Missy marry George because I do think she would have made a, a really great queen. Yeah. She was such a flamboyant character, really yeah. flamboyant.
1: Right, and so, and so and a real touch with the people. I think um, really yeah, had it yeah.
0: after after a
1: kind of a rocky start. She she gets she gets her feet under the table and and does a really good job.
0: Um, she did a good job during the First World War. Absolutely, actually. yeah, yeah. We that we could use her, her now during the yeah. we
1: Corin and I are speaking during the um COVID-19 lockdown we could use someone like the Queen Marie of Romania to sort of rally our forces.
0: Yes, right. <laughs> well, when in World War 1, she she went to the front and and even before that in the Balkan War, she went to the front. And she she um nursed in the hospitals. Right. You know, so yeah, with people like that absolutely invaluable.
1: You've invaluable. also written a book about um royal women working as nurses,
0: haven't you? Yes, Princesses yeah. on the wards, Royal Women in Nurses in War and Revolution. Another another uh, came great out book. In 2014. yes. Maria of Romania had a large part in that because of course she was so active. But so were so many of them. I was again I was surprised how many of them were really active on the front, you know, in, in the wars. I thought, Oh, there'll be half a dozen nurses, you know, this'll be easy. And the more i looked the more i found and there were loads i had to leave out in the end because it was you know it's getting too complicated and there right. were many of them
1: well nur- n- royal nurses brings us to um another another sort of piece of of the puzzle and that is um the grand duchess elizabeth um and you you spend a lot of time on um grand duchess elizabeth or ella uh, marriage to Grand Duke serge of of Russia, who is the uncle of nicholas II, the 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 um, son of Alexander the the second um, this is a fascinating pair because they they didn't keep diaries, did they
0: well from from what I understand, Ella did keep a diary. Oh, she but did. it hasn't survived. Oh. That's what I understand, and it's a great shame because it would have thrown a great light on two very enigmatic characters
1: right because they're, they're kind of we don't really know much about them.
0: No, we don't, and um, it's, again, a great shame. I think Queen Victoria was totally horrified when she found out Ella wanted to marry into Russia. When you read the letters from Victoria to Ella's sister, also Victoria, you get a feeling of the horror that the Queen feels about what Ella's about to do. And I think this horror can partly be traced back to the story of the Queen's aunt, Princess Julianne of Saxe-Coburg. Oh, yes, yeah, which,
1: which, which is how you begin the book. Why don't you yes. tell us that now story? Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, she made a disastrous marriage to Alexander's first brother, Grand Duke Constantine, in 1796. And he was a bully. He treated her very badly. And she finally fled Russia and she lived a rather sad, lonely life. And Victoria was greatly influenced by this story. And she didn't want any of her family to suffer the same way. And she actually says that she thinks that it's Aunt Julie that caused all the ill feeling in in Russia against Victoria's family. But in fact, Julie's marriage was the the beginning of the rise of the Coburg family. So um, it's a great story. It's very little known apart from amongst the sort of experts, the royalty buffs, if you like. Yeah. No, she's not, a fascinating character.
1: She's a fascinating character because she's, she's she's, really, um, she does the unthinkable and kind of runs yeah. away, yeah.
0: And has lives with her lover, has a couple of illegitimate children along the way. And uh, as I said, it's a very scandalous life, but Victoria was in touch with her. And uh, so was Prince Albert, of course, who was also her nephew. Right. And they were very fond of her. So, And I think it was this influence that the stories that Queen Victoria heard from her uncle Leopold and her own mother about this aunt, this maternal aunt, that influenced what she thought about Russia. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when Ella announced her intention of marrying Grand-Duke Sergei, the Queen was horrified and did all she could to try and change her mind. She was worried about Ella's safety because Mm -hmm. terrorism was rife. There had been loads of assassination attempts on Alexander II's life already. She was worried about the religious difficulties although Ella was under no obligation to convert to orthodoxy, not at that time anyway, mm-hmm. although she did later. And of course, Victoria had heard some disturbing rumours that Sergei was homosexual.
1: And let's talk about those for a minute, because um, I-, I wonder if, if, if your research suggests that that's the case, or if you, if you have an opinion on that one way or the other.
0: Well, there's no actual proof that he was, but that doesn't mean that it's, The allegations are untrue, just that the relevant papers might not have survived. Now, Queen Victoria apparently asked the British ambassador in St. Petersburg to make inquiries about Sergei. But apparently there's no trace of this investigation in the Royal Archives. Mm -hmm. And many of the more serious allegations against Sergei emanated from from Berlin and the jealous Kaiser Willem. Now, he was in love with Ella in his youth and he wanted to marry her. So he started these rumours, that's, that's the theory, he started a lot of the rumours about Sergei. Oh, I didn't know at that, the moment, But yeah, at the moment, there's no way, proof one way or the other, but it's true that Ella's marriage was childless, and it's true that the allegations were believed by Russian society at the time, and allegations did appear in the newspapers. So it said there's no smoke without fire, but I mean, <laughs> I, I can't actually give you any downright proof.
1: Right, and and Kaiser William actually steps up to the plate at the end, but but not not successfully. Doesn't he try to save Ella? Um,
0: during the yes, first, after World the War? Right. yes, after the revolution, yes, he he sent an. Uh, I think it was the Swedish ambassador who was neutral. He asked him to go into Russia, go to see Ella in the convent where she was nursing, and I'll offer her a safe passage to Berlin and safety. And Ella refused. Right, he said, No, I'll take my chance here. You know. But I don't think she believed anyone would hurt a nursing sister, a nun. Little did she know. Alas. Mm, Alas. (laughs) Alas. But he he did try and and offer her help to get out of Russia. A nice
1: redeeming moment for someone who doesn't Mm. have many, um, I think. That's right, yeah.
0: Makes a change, doesn't it? That's
1: right. (laughs) Um, And well, then that brings us to um, Ella's younger sister, Alex, who marries um, the Tsarevich kind of against everyone's... um, uh, ideas of, of what he should do um, but Victoria as you said in the beginning of the interview has a better relationship with Nicholas um, what do you think accounts for that closeness apart from his astonishing resemblance to her grandson
0: I think it was partly his charm Yeah, I mean there is absolutely no doubt that Victoria liked him as a person the words charming and nice appeared time after a time in her journal she was totally charmed by him but He knew he had to make a good impression on her. When he came to England in 1893 for his cousin George's wedding, that's the future George V. Nicholas set out to make a good impression on the Queen because he knew that she greatly influenced her granddaughter, Princess Alex of Hesse, Mm. and he wanted to marry Alex. He also spoke perfect English, Oxford English, Uh we're told, actually. Mm. Unlike some of these documentaries where they have uh, an actor voicing Nicholas II speaking English with a strong Russian accent. (laughs) He apparently (laughs) spoke almost faultless Oxford English. He totally charmed Victoria. Uh But they were only close on a personal level. Again, politically, they remained miles apart. And even then, Nicholas was not always complimentary about the Queen in his correspondence. There's one letter to his brother where he calls her a round ball on unsteady legs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I really oh, love that quote. That's, that's lovely.
1: <laughs> and and uh, unfortunately, Victoria dies um, it, when Nicholas and Alexander are still finding their feet as, as emperor and empress. Do you think if she had lived even a decade longer, world history might have been different? Was she a, was she a sort of restraining influence on Alex or
0: not? It's a great shame that when the revolution occurred, the letters that Alex had received from Queen Victoria were burnt mm. because she was afraid that they would fall into the wrong hands. I'm sure that she was, or tried to be, a restraining influence. She was certainly worried that the Emperor and Empress were shutting themselves away at Sarskoe Solo for t- too long. Mm-hmm. And Victoria sent one of Alex's cousins, Princess Victoria, uh, Helena Victoria of Schleswig Holstein, she sent her out to Russia to stay with Alex quite um, late Mm. in the 1890s, Mm -hmm. and to report back to her. And I'd love to see that report, because Queen makes no reference in her diary. But we know that Helena Victoria was concerned that Alex and Nicholas were shutting themselves away too much and not seeing society. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, well, it's a good start. They have accepted an invitation to the British Embassy, but I do wish they would accept more invitations. And it was becoming a concern. And
1: this is even before the birth of the Tsarevich.
0: Oh, yes, because Victoria did. Victoria only lived to see the birth of the, well, she didn't live to see them. Here are the birth of the first three children. Right. She met Olga. Right. She knew about the birth of Tatiana and Maria, but she never saw them. Um, And then, of course, she died before Mm -hmm. Anastasia was born. Alexandra was pregnant. She couldn't go to Victoria's funeral because of that which was greatly upsetting for her. And of course, Victoria's last legacy, unfortunately, to the Russian imperial family was probably hemophilia. Mm,
1: Which has such an effect on politics, doesn't it? Because they go go into further. Oh my goodness. It's quite something. Um, I just wanted to touch um, on one relationship that is a little bit happier, and that is uh, that of the Prince of Wales and Tsar Alexander III, who appear to be sort of chummy brothers-in-law um, and have a very congenial relationship throughout most of their lives.
0: Is well, that, yes, they, yeah? they were brothers-in-law. Uh, they didn't meet that often, though. It was their wives, actually, mm. who, who were the um, driving the, force between it. And they were both um, sisters, daughters of Christian, the Knights of Denmark, Marie Fedorovna, and Prince uh-huh. Alexander of Wales.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they wanted a better relationship between England and Russia. And they remained close all their lives. So the last thing they wanted was war between their adopted countries. Right. They called each other the other half of myself. They were like twins in everything but age. But But, unfortunately, these family relations counted for nothing. They tried to bring the two countries closer together. But by 1885, Britain and Russia were coming close to war over Afghanistan. Right. And what became known as the Great Game, the rivalry between Britain and Russia over Afghanistan and the Uh neighbouring territories which continued throughout Victoria's reign that was going on and in fact between 1873 and 1907 Marie Theodorovna was unable to visit her sister in Britain because of the political tension and the security concerns so they had to meet abroad so yes Alexander and Edward were brothers in law Mm -hmm. but they didn't meet that often Edward wouldn't go to Denmark he found it boring (laughs) He hated Christian the knight's court. It, he said it was just too dull. Uh-huh. So he made excuses not to go. Alexander III loved it because he was free, free from security and terrorist attempts and all those sort of things. So for him, it was a happy holiday. And for Edward, it, Edward preferred Paris for obvious reasons.
1: I suppose um, they had very different tastes um, in did, what, yes. was, what was entertaining and what was amusing.
0: Um. Alexander III was very faithful to his wife always. Edward VII never was. So um, that rather sums them up, really. There you go. But it was the wives who were trying to bring the countries closer together. Right. But unfortunately, they never really succeeded.
1: Oh, so it's a real shame that, you know, reading your book, is, it, you sort of see a lot of missed opportunities for um, for closer relations between the two great great powers,
0: yeah, so there are a lot of missed opportunities, yeah. actually. But again, you know, something always seemed to get in the way. Yeah, that's and a great shame. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah.
1: There, but I wanted to to touch on one more um, royal marriage that Victoria doesn't live to see. Um, and that is um, the the marriage of her granddaughter, Victoria Melita, known as Ducky, um, to Grand Duke Cyril. And I wonder if for our listeners you could... Kind of um, flesh that out, and because I always think like Marie Alexandrovna, uh, Grand Duchess Marie gets the last laugh um, somehow with this
0: marriage. Um,
2: can you, well, can yeah, you kind I of flesh that out actually. for us? Yeah,
0: <laughs> because uh, as you say, it doesn't actually come into my book. Queen Victoria arranged the marriage of Victoria Melita to her uh. cousin, Ernie, the Grand Duke of Hesse, who was the brother of Ella and also of Empress Alexandra of Russia. Mm-hmm. Things went wrong. After the Queen's death, Ernie and Ducky divorced. In 1905, Ducky secretly married Grand Duke Cyril. Now, they'd been in love for a long time. She was both a divorcee and Cyril's first cousin, but neither of these things were acceptable under existing imperial laws. And when the Tsar heard news of the marriage, Cyril was deprived of his army rank, title, privileges and his income and ordered to leave the country within 48 hours. The Tsar eventually resen- relented. Victoria Melita was created a Grand Duchess, and the couple were allowed back to Russia. When the revolution occurred, Cyril obtained permission to take his family to Finland, which at that time was still part of the Russian Empire. In 1917, in Finland, Ducky gave birth to her son Vladimir, and that's whom from whom the line currently descends. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to say that Maria Alexandrovna would consider she had the last laugh because <laughs> the actual line descends from her as well as from Queen Victoria.
1: Exactly. I, I think it's wonderful. Um, and um, and then they kind of, they, they go, they survive the revolution and go to, is it France? Normandy? They, yes, yeah. they lived
0: in St. Briac in France for right. a number of years.
1: Yes. Uh, and poor Maria Alexandrovna, um, they say, is it true they say she died when someone called her Frau Coburg?
0: That she yeah, was she's a, alleged to have received a letter addressed to Frau Coburg <laughs> died of a heart attack. I don't think it's true. I don't but believe it either. It's a, it's a good story. She died in uh, Switzerland, actually. Of course, she, she lost all her income and everything in the yeah. revolution. Oh. As soon as um, the first revolution occurred in 1917, they uh, stopped paying all the income to the various imperial members and of course all of them lost their income they lost their palaces they lost everything Mm. at that point they're all struggling to survive so of course queen victoria didn't live to see any of that which is probably just as well
1: yes absolutely i think she would have she would have been horrified Mm. well what a what a a story what a book um tell us what, what what are you working on now corin
0: um, I am actually in the early stages of another Russian book, but oh, I'd really not like to say anything more at the moment. Fair enough. Very so, early planning stages.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, and tell us where readers can find you. I know you're very active on social media, um, always with some fascinating um, tidbits for us. Um, where else can people find you online? Well,
0: I'm on Twitter, at Corinne Hall. hmm and I've also got a website, com. Right. And there's a contact form on there as well, which I think you found. I you? did. I did. <laughs> I
1: did. Um, and it was...
0: I'm always interested to hear from anyone who has a connection to Russia or the Romanov. Okay. I, say that. I get a lot of inquiries from people who've got an interest in Russia or a connection or are doing something to do with Russia. I'm always very pleased to hear from people. With any sort of interest in Russia.
1: Do you get any um, do you get any people who think that they are Anastasia or not you know? At the, no, no, not so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think they'd well they'd all be well over a hundred now, wouldn't I, they? Since I get a born lot of nineteen oh one. I
1: get a lot of Facebook messages from people who say, you know, I'm descended from Alexei who survived and um it's always difficult to know how to respond to something like that.
0: Yes, I haven't had any of those yet. I must admit. Well, I so wish
1: you. Not... I wish you n- not many of. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, this has been a particular pleasure for me. Corin's many books and insightful commentary about royalty and the Romanovs have fueled my own passion for the subject for so many years, and. It has been a real thrill to speak with you, Corinne. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Well, the
1: book, again, is Queen Victoria and the Romanoffs, 60 Years of Mutual Distrust, published by Amberley Publishing this year and available wherever great books are sold. I promise you it is the perfect lockdown read. Um, You won't be sorry. uh, And it just uh, flows along perfectly. That's all we have time for today. And I hope that you will join me soon for another great book and a discussion with its author. Thank you so much for listening.